welcome to episode 12 of From the Horse Box. I'm Kate. And I'm Claire. Each month we bring you a conversation from the countryside. I'm celebrating as Eliza has passed her driving test. All we need now is some diesel. And I have to say, it has been great having the extra month before she went back to university with her help with the horses. And we are loving these autumn early mornings when the weather has been breathtakingly beautiful. Kate, have you had any more news since harvesting all your homegrown produce for the gardening competition? We've had great feedback from the gardening competition, including one listener who thought Sally Anson was chopping vegetables as she spoke. Can you shed any light on this, Claire? Well, I was there, but perhaps it was putting ice cubes in her gin and tonic. (laughs) Very probably. I did get to London at the time of Chelsea Flower Show, but Cosmo, now three months, had other things planned. But London looked amazing. All the shops were beautifully decorated with flowers. It was just stunning. At home, seven Labrador puppies are keeping us all on our toes. And we've had an engagement. So it's all go. But we are looking forward to our guest today, who, although isn't from a farming background, has learnt to adapt to the busy life of a dairy and beef farm. Sue Owen is originally from Lancashire near Ramsbottom in the mill regions of the Pennines but as we shall see there is nothing run-of-the-mill about her. Thank you Sue for agreeing to join us. You must make sure you have a from the horse box welcome drink of your choice. Lovely thank you glass of wine great. We're all set up now. Now Sue the countryside of your childhood was very different to this farming area can you tell us what it was like where you grew up? Uh, yes, so it was a small village in the foothills of the Pennines. Um, and yeah, very different. Um, moorland, dry stone walls, and mainly sheep. So uh, coming to a dairy farming area is yeah quite a difference. And there was actually one dairy farm in that area who did the milking and delivered milk to the village. And they're still there today, actually, even though the village has grown hugely, um, like like lots of villages have. And it's the third generation of the family are still farming and delivering milk in the local area. I think that's pretty amazing. So it's quite a community that you came from. Yes. Yeah, it was. And it was it was lovely because you could just escape up into the hills, which we used to go with the dogs and play in the streams and wander in the hills. Yeah. Was... Could you see any mills from there? Like... No, not particularly. No. No. I love your bit about the um, <laughs> she's not run of the mill because I think I am. But I thought that was really <laughs> brilliant. Um, and I did a bit of writing, but nothing to write home about. So, so you studied archaeology at Reading. Has this subject always been a fascination for you? Um, yes, it has. From the age of about 14 or 15, I, I was interested and and decided that, you know, eventually I would like to study. And my parents tried to put me off a bit because it's not a subject that leads directly to a career. Um, but I stuck with it. And I'm, I'm really glad I did because it is fascinating. And it kind of helps to place us in a period of time and realise that the things that we do have been done before, but to a different level, if you like prehistoric man was just doing exactly the same things farming um hunting for food um building shelters making pots and and 
you know, we've just sort of progressed and obviously we have more things to our fingertips now. But And as the subject of archaeology has become more science-based, uh, we can learn about diet, illness, how people died, age expectancy, all sorts of things. It is just really fascinating. What were the two, what were the most interesting projects that you worked on? Um so probably the most interesting one was two summers, which I spent excavating in Mallorca. A group of students went out there to a research centre in a place called Dare. And um, we were excavating a Copper Age site. Um, and, you know, it was nothing. We didn't find any jewels or <laughs> anything, but it was just uh, excavating really for the foundations of the dwellings and learning about how how they lived, where the animals were and where the humans were. Um, and, yeah, that was that was great fun. So you did a lot of digging. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and, um, yes, in fact, my father did joke that um, he, we were all being carted out there to dig the foundations of a new hotel, but we weren't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and do you do this now in the garden, but... Um, no, but our lovely metal detectorist chap that comes, that keeps my interest going because he's found so many amazing things. So um, I do slightly feel in touch with it. So you still. do live on a quite a historical site. Yeah, yes. And and the kind of things that, that he is finding are, you know, just really exciting. And he, he comes into the kitchen with his little box of finds and we all kind of... <laughs> it's just great. It's brilliant. So... Um, and I think he quite enjoys the fact that, that you know, I have perhaps a knowledge that helps understand the things that he's finding. So, yeah, it's, it's very good. But you're still waiting for the big one. Yeah, waiting for that hoard of coins. <laughs> right. So armed with your degree, you headed to London. And yes. Well, tell us about your first job. So, so I, uh, when we finished university, a whole lot of us just decamped to London. And um, I was applying for jobs in museums. But nothing was really coming up. And uh, so I took a job as a Christmas temp at Fortnum and Mason. And so worked for the Christmas period. And then they asked if I would like to be assistant buyer in one of the departments. And um, I thought, well, I may as well because nothing else is happening. So then I spent, gosh, probably eight or nine years working there and just had the best time off to you know Europe buying lovely things to sell in what the store. What sort of lovely things? Um, so it was you know beautiful pieces of china and glass and you know all that sort of stuff. Oh, Just, yeah, no, it, it really was. Um, and also the the my boss there, we became really really good friends and still are good friends. And she is an absolute shining light at Fordham's amazing woman. Oh. Do you like Scotch eggs? Do you like Scotch eggs? Well, they invented the Scotch eggs. Oh, I think they? they did, yes, but I wouldn't know. I don't, you know, nothing to do with food. Do you still ever buy anything from Fortnum and Mason? Um, yeah, I would always go to Fortnum's if I'm in London and buy some lovely food things to bring home. Um, and for me, it's when I open the door of Fortnum's and smell the grand coffee, that just it brings all the memories back to me. It's just lovely. I love that. Well, it is certainly a very special place. I think everyone remembers their first encounter. So tell us about your first trip to the Bangor on Dee. 
area? Um, yeah, so I came to Henry and Sarah Ormrod's wedding with some friends from university. Sarah and, and the rest of us had sort of gone our separate ways. She came up to Shropshire and we were all... She in was London. at uni with you. Yeah, and we were all in London. Um, and, yeah, we came to her wedding. And actually, that's where I met Gerard. I noticed he was on the other side of the church when I walked in. And I noticed, first of all, the morning coat that he was wearing because it was really rather beautiful. And I thought, gosh, and it, it would take an interesting person to wear that. And um, then we met later on in the day. I would love to know what it was about the morning suit that was so uh, stunning. It it was just it was old. You could tell that it was really old and special. And I think it had belonged to his grandfather. I think it was his Eton morning coat, probably. And and I thought, that's amazing. You know, it's amazing that somebody would keep that and wear it. And it was just lovely. But that that's all I saw. I couldn't, I could only see the back of his head and the morning coat. Do you there. think your um, expertise at Fortnum's and your eye for quality uh, <laughs> pointed this out. Just the coat or Jared, is that you? <laughs> I'm sure it's both. Is he still wearing the same? Yes. yes In I actual so. fact, he wore it at Sally Loud's wedding last Saturday So and looked great. I'm sure. Brilliant. So the morning coat obviously did its business and as a result, you have three boys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, we do. The boys obviously kept you very busy at home, but when you had a moment, you branched out into politics. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it was actually your brother, Lloyd, who um, ha- who persuaded me to stand. I can remember him coming to the house and he's in the kitchen, and I suppose possibly there was nobody else wanting to do it. <laughs> Seems to be my not the fate in life. Um, and he, yeah, he he said just have a go, and so I did, and stood as a Conservative councillor, and I did beat the Labour person into third place, but an independent one. I mean, it's years and years and years ago, um, and now you know, mercifully, Clued South went Conservative at the last election. Um, but in, you know, 20 something years ago, it was very firmly not conservative, yes. but worth having a go at, you know. But yeah, no, nothing really came of that. So you reverted back to your original profession and began teaching at the Yale. I did. Yes, yes. Um, finally started to use my degree and taught GCSE and A-level archaeology and some courses that were just general interest that didn't have an exam at the end Um, and that was great that was just amazing because the people who my students were all keen on the subject that you know they actively want they weren't being made to do maths or whatever Um, and so everybody was really diligent and worked really really hard and we had amazing results due, due to their you know their their diligence um, and some of them did go on to study archaeology at university, which I feel really proud of. Yes, we had some fun with just um, uh, general interest courses where we would go and visit sites and all that sort of thing. So no, it was great. It was a great time. And I just wanted to say to my parents, see, <laughs> I did use it in the end. And it eventually <laughs> led you... So working for the examination board? Yes, yes. I became um, involved with the setting of papers, 
which was really interesting to see it from the from the other side. And you, you know, you were able to comment on how you thought a student might cope with a question. And then I used to mark papers also in the summer, which was also quite interesting. And it was great because everything was done before the boys came home from school for the summer holidays. Um, so then we were free to, you know, do whatever else we wanted to do. So, yeah, it was great. Would you describe um, your adjustment to farming life as in at the deep end? Yes, I absolutely would, because I am not from a farming background. Um, and yes, it, it was quite a quite a quite an eye-opener, but a good one, because you know, to be, to be made to realise what goes on in the production of food and so on um, is is pretty amazing. Uh, but, you know, I was fresh out of London and, and I would, you know, come up in <laughs> clothes not suitable for running around on the farm. And I can remember one particular time when Jared said, come and help me do some lambing. And I was um, wearing a Max Mara sweater that I had bought in Milan. And I can remember thinking, well, that's just the end of that's never going to be the same again. And it wasn't. I think it shrank in the watch to the size of an A4 piece of paper as well. So insult to injury. And about, um, was it the same with the horse world? I know you're Yeah, yeah, riding. absolutely. Um, so I had ridden when I was younger, but I hadn't hunted. Um, and funnily enough, we did live near the um, Holcombe Hunt kennels and we would often see the hounds being walked out and that sort of thing. But, you know, I knew of hunting, but had never been involved with it. And um, so a horse was found. I think Gerald Williams helped to find it. And I can remember the very first day, it must have been an autumn hunting morning. And um, off we went. And Gerald, you know, he... Yeah, he just said, right, follow me. And I can remember getting on the horse, galloping across the field, jumping a hedge and then another field and jumping a rail and then stopped around, you know, with where everybody else was. Jared then left me and I can remember sitting on the horse and thinking and looking back and thinking, what the, what the <laughs> hell have you just done? You can't do that. You're, you are incapable of doing that. And then after that... <laughs> You know, it was very hit and miss with my my <laughs> ability on the hunting field. Some days it was great. Some days I spent a lot of time looking at the sky from from the ground. Well, so that's yeah. incredible to have um, mastered all that. <laughs> oh my god, so I did amazing! Know <laughs> and I must ask about your lorry. Um, how did you come by this blue lorry? Can you tell <laughs> um, us a bit about it? Yes, well, it's, it's the second lorry that I have known since since I've um, been here. So the first one, uh, and, and I'm not a lorry driving woman, uh, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm full of admiration for people that do, because I had an experience in the previous one, uh, which was taking the boys to Pony Club. And uh, we had five ponies our three boys, two Ormrod girls and Sarah Ormrod and me in the lorry. We got to the venue for Pony Club, I can't remember where it was, and I pulled in through the gates and knocked a huge <laughs> granite ball off the gatepost. And I honestly don't think that I said I was sorry or offered to pay, you know, oh, I wake up Very at night drinking really stressful. Anyway, that was that lorry. And then I thought I'm never, ever getting in one again because it's far too dangerous. And after the um, awful incident with the granite ball, we were going home in the lorry 
And I we had we had to negotiate a hill and I totally stalled the lorry and we were stuck there. And I really didn't know what to do. And the boys just started to totally panic and shout out, Daddy, Daddy, get Daddy, get Daddy. And that made me worse. And we sat there for ages with traffic piling up behind us. And anyway, finally, we got out of the situation. But yeah, never again. It's not easy driving a lorry. Um, Then the blue lorry came into our lives. Um, And I think everybody trundles around the countryside, doesn't it, sort of. Um, And, yeah, there there have been some funny moments with that, like arriving for a a ride at the South Shropshire. And George Rennick was uh, parking lorries. And he rang Arthur, he's their friends from school, and said something like, well, I saw the blue beast coming around the corner and I knew he was arriving to do the do the ride. So, yeah, I mean, it's not smart by any means, but the horses go in it, we go in it and it's fine. Does the job. Yes. Back to the farm. We've all heard about the misfortunes of Geronimo. But what's it been like for your family um, with the TB testing? Yeah, it has been for us and for many other families really, really hard. Um, And speaking from my point of view, so I have been helping outside with TB testing for probably 25 years. And it's hard, arduous, dangerous sometimes work, particularly for the boys, you know, wrangling all the cattle and what have you. And it's probably two days out of a working week, just, you know, processing the whole thing. Um, And as far as I can see, nothing has changed in the level of um, farms that are shut up with TB. And the government want the UK to be TB free by 2030, which is only eight and a bit years. Um, And... And I honestly can't. If they keep on doing the same test, um, I I can't imagine that being um, achieved. And being involved in something, I I don't like just going out there. Do I wanted to know about it, and so I started to read up about it. And there are some people at Nottingham University who have um, perfected a test that can be done on milk or blood or feces or skin. And it is a a definitive test, um, but struggling to get it um, authorised. That's probably not the right word, but it needs to go through clinical trials and all that sort of thing. And fortunately, it has now been given the money it needs to apply to the World Veterinary Authority. And that's the final um, hoop that it will have to jump through to be authorised to be used on farms. Um, And that will be so much less stressful for the animals and a whole lot easier for the humans involved in the whole thing. So great hope on that one, because I can't see unless something changes 2030 being a TB free, you know, um, celebratory year. Yeah, it is a terrible situation. Yes, it really is. Yes. Well, hopefully it sounds although that might make a huge difference. It's obviously very clear that the general public need to understand the hardship caused by the disease on farms and must be realistic about the need to control the badger population 
affecting its spread, really. Yes, yeah. And even um, Brian May, who who is the great badger saviour, isn't he, um, has been working with uh, on a farm in Somerset with um, the Nottingham University and a local vet using this new test. And he is, you know, has been prepared to to put money forward to advance that, um, even though he he is protecting every badger in you know the world. But yeah, it's got to be, you know, it can't just be a one prong thing, can it at all? And I I don't think people are aware that it's taxpayers who have to pay when cattle are taken to slaughter. Uh, it's the you know it's us taxpayers who foot the bill to, for compensation. So getting overexcited about badgers, it, it's not rational. You know they they you know it needs to be thought through um, m- much more clearly. Much more needs to mm. be done, obviously. Mm. But the good news on your farm is the handover to your son Ollie, yes, who is now officially in charge. Yes, um, <laughs> I don't know whether Jared would agree with that, but um, yeah, he, he's certainly um, taken the reins. And um, yeah, it's great, you know, young, keen, um, got all the new ideas in his head, which is, is great. But also, you know, he does need to sometimes listen to Jared, who's been there, done that. And, and, and I think, you know, now they've reached a, a good understanding. Um, and Certainly, the fact of having TB has changed the way the farm functions because Ollie has had to adapt to not being able to sell animals or buy in animals and so um, is now rearing beef animals um, and finishing them and all the heifers that are, are born on the farm gradually work their way through into the milking herd. So, it's like necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? You know, you you have to do something. And so I think he's done it really well. I think he's done extremely well. A a young and new person uh, with new ideas taking over and making such a good job of it. Your new role as editor of Crime magazine is yet another exciting challenge. Do you see it as an important way of communicating with the farming world? Yes, I do. And and I hope increasingly it will become um, a mouthpiece, perhaps, for the farming community who are so generous with their land and their time. Um, And, you know, really want to concentrate on younger people um, who are perhaps coming into farming, um, along with lots of other interesting articles. Um, And I hope that we maintain the integrity of the magazine because it is really brilliant. It's been made into something brilliant. And I hope we can, you know, continue with that. But yeah, exciting. That's yet another worthwhile project from you, Sue. Right, so we could chat all night, but um, we normally finish with a quick, fast section. Spontaneous or pre-planned? Pre-planned. Favourite board game? No, I don't like board games. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what city would you like to visit? Uh, um, if I can go back to one, I would love to go back to Florence. What is your guilty pleasure? Ooh, Tatler. Hate it, love it. And finally, back on the farm, oxtail or sirloin? Oh, sirloin. Now, Sue, we would really love it if you had a joke or a motto for us to finish. 
Okay, I've got a joke, which I I hope is acceptable. Um, Have you heard about the dyslexic agnostic insomniac? He lies awake at night wondering if there is a dog. (laughs) 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 Someone for you to think about there. Is there a God? Of course. Well done. Thank you. That was such fun, and it all began with that morning coat. I'm sure our listeners will know that the name originated from the practice of gentlemen in the 19th century riding their horses in the morning with a cutaway front. We just didn't hear if Gerard had a top hat to go with it. He certainly caught her eye, unlike that granite ball. We certainly guessed correctly that there was a lot more to Sue than most of us knew. I learned a lot from her description of the realities of farming with TB testing and I also love the thought that someone who appreciates the beautiful pottery of ancient people is also someone who can choose beautiful pieces of glass and china for Fortnum's as well. I hope you enjoyed our chat to Sue today and thank you all for listening. Please rate, review and tell your friends and help us get more listeners on board. That would be wonderful. And if you can find that follow show button so that you don't miss our next episode when it could be you in the driving seat.